Thanks for tuning in. I'm Joel Amidon. And I'm Ann Monroe. And this is the Road to Better Teaching, a podcast series where we discuss stories of teacher development. Hi, Ann. How are you? Hey, good. How are you doing? Hey, it's nice when you can like tease something and it actually comes comes true, isn't it? It happens. When we were, uh, I guess, doing the intro, the very first episode of season two, when we were recapping season one, uh, like we're a Netflix show or something. And uh, <laughs> I said, we have a special guest. We had something a little bit different up our sleeves. And here we are today. Yeah. And let, let's, let's now like uh, we're on the Carson show. Well, Johnny, tonight's show, I guess uh, uh, how many of our listeners would know who Johnny Carson is? Hopefully a I, lot. I think they will. Okay. But it's not they like we're Although their- they didn't, they didn't know um, Lionel Richie's dancing on the ceiling at the Halloween party. So I'm a little concerned, but anyway, that's okay. <laughs> All right. That's okay. All right, enough enough of the chatter. Let's let's bring in our guest. We have Dr. Morris Stocks, uh, who has a long tenured uh, been here at the university for, and, and he's going to talk about a number of years. But a well respected for his teaching, and we wanted to bring in uh, a, a voice uh, to talk about teaching from outside of the School of Education, because up until now, everyone has been associated with the School of Ed. So, uh, Morris, thank you for joining us on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you and Ann for inviting me to to be a part of the podcast. I appreciate that. So, I mean, you know, we uh, we had a conversation before this conversation and talking about all your different experiences. I, maybe you can give it just a little bit of a introduction for how did you get to where you're at now here at the University of Mississippi? It's, I know uh, that's sure, a, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be version. glad to. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, so I. Um, I actually had a teaching appointment for eight years um, before I went back to get my PhD. So I was teaching uh, in Nashville at my alma mater. And maybe I'll talk about that later, how that came about. But um, uh, I taught for eight years. I'm an accountant by trade, was working as an accountant and was an accounting faculty member and decided after eight years, yeah, I guess I'm in this for life. So I went to the University of South Carolina to get a PhD. And from there, came to the University of Mississippi as an assistant professor in the School of Accountancy 32 years ago. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> have had the privilege of doing lots of things uh, during that 32-year period. Uh, served as associate provost for a while, came back as dean of the School of Accountancy. Um, at, after about five years there, Robert Kayat was, uh, our chancellor and was considering retirement and asked me to come into his office in a position called senior vice chancellor. And, uh, I've told this story before I, I asked him what my job description would be. And he said, your job description is to do anything I don't want to do. So, <laughs> uh, that's what I did for a couple of years. And then our provost, Carolyn Staten, announced that she was uh, retiring. And I applied for that job and served in that position uh, for about 10 years. A little bit of that time, we were without a chancellor. So I served as interim chancellor for a part of that time. And uh, about five years ago, I decided I had done my duty as an administrator and 
came back to the faculty in School of Accountancy. So I've been back on the faculty for about five years and feel very privileged and blessed to be able to do that. Yeah. And, you know, one of those things we, your reputation for your, your teaching precedes you. And so like, it was like for Ann and I, I was like, Hey, let's, let's, let's invite him. Let's, let's see if he'll come on and talk on the podcast about his teaching. Yeah. I'm glad to do that. I, I, as I mentioned to you earlier, it makes me a little bit nervous for as an accountant to be talking to a bunch of educators (laughs) about teaching, but, uh, my my teaching career is now over 40 years. I continued to teach while I was an administrator. So uh, maybe I've learned something during that time. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm sure you've got a few things to share with us. Yeah, I hope so. Right. And, and I do want to, and I'm, I'm going to acknowledge it, but like both Dr. Monroe and Dr. Stocks, Ann and Morris, have both uh, been a recipient of the Hood Award, which is the the largest award we have here at the University of Mississippi for teaching. And so, and, and I also know in order to get that award, there has, I mean, it's not just a, you know, let's see what he does. Let's see what he does this year. Let's see what she does this year. There's, that means that there's a reputation for a while for good teaching. And so um, it, there's, it's a recognition that, you know, you both uh, deserved. And, and again, I'm, I'm glad that one, I get to work with Ann a, a lot and, Hopefully she's thankful to work with me, but then also too, it's just, it's nice to be able to, to tap into some of that expertise here and, and be able to one, uh, that's one of the things that we want to do with this podcast is honor good teaching. And then, so thinking about also just like, what's the story to get there. And so, so thank you again for being willing to come on and do that. So, but we know the journey starts with other teachers, right? And so, you know, if, if you could take a moment, like think about, uh, and we always talk about like this kind of countdown. So thanking three teachers who have helped shape your development as a person. Yeah, and if you'll allow me, I'll take a little bit of liberty in this. <clears throat> and I'm going to start with my parents. Awesome. Both of whom I, I was, um, you know, uh, I'm a generation at least ahead of, of you two, uh, but I'm privileged that both my parents are college educated. My mother had a graduate degree and they were both teachers at various times during their uh, professional career, even though they were never my teacher. But um, they they instilled a lot in me that helped me appreciate the value of education. Um, my dad was a mathematician and uh, probably guided me toward a degree in accounting. And my mother w- ended up being a librarian after years in a classroom and, um, and, and just instilled in all of us, my three sisters and I, the, the love of reading. So I, I think they were major, major contributors in who I am today. Uh, the second person I might mention is, is a man named Gerald Skinner. So both my parents are deceased and Gerald Skinner's deceased, but he, uh, I attended, uh, Trevecca Nazarene university on a tennis scholarship and he was my accounting teacher. So it's a small business school and we had three accounting professors and he taught most of the, uh, critical accounting courses that I took as an undergraduate. And I just learned so much about, uh, not only accounting, but, how to conduct a classroom, how to, you know, raise expectations among students and have them strive for excellence. And I owe a lot to, to Gerald Skinner. Uh, the, the third 
teacher that I might mention is he is a faculty member, was a faculty member, but my relationship with him was as my tennis coach. Uh, and to, to tell you how much he meant to me and how much I learned from him and how much I appreciate what he did for me, he was best man at my wedding. And he co-signed on my first car. So that, that's a big deal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he must have really liked you, Morris. Yeah, yeah. He must have. So, or, or trusted me, maybe. I don't know. But uh, he, uh, much of my teaching, and I never took a course from Alan Smith, but much of my teaching I learned from how he treated people, mm. the respect that he showed people, and um, he, he just – he had a way of, uh, once again, expecting excellence, but making you feel appreciated every step along the way. And there are others that I could mention, but those three uh, came to mind immediately when I talked about teachers who had impacted my life. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, that's the first time we've had the cosigner on, on the car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I still, I'm still in contact with him weekly. He calls oh. me every week. Wow. So, oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So what were two reasons or events that led you to being a teacher? Well, as, as I said, I, my, uh, I mentioned to you earlier when we talked that I started out as a math major and yeah. uh, wasn't quite sure where that was going to lead. I ended up completing a mathematics degree, but on the way, along the way, I started taking accounting courses. And so I graduated with an accounting degree. And I mentioned my dad, um, <clears throat> at that point in time, you could sit for the CPA exam with a baccalaureate degree. But my dad, who was not an accountant, but had learned that eventually to sit for the CPA exam, you was going to require a master's degree. And that was coming into play at different points in different states. Uh, I took the CPA exam in Tennessee before that was required. But my dad kept saying, you ought to think about, um, you know, getting a master's degree in accounting. Other people are going to have a master's degree that you're going to be working with. And so, uh, I decided that would be a good strategy for me. So I began moving in that direction. So all my education was in accounting. My undergraduate degree in accounting, my master's degree in accounting and information systems. <clears throat> so my at my little institution where I was a student, um, for the sophomore level class, which is principles of accounting, uh, the professor would ask one upper level student to serve as what they call the lab instructor in that class. And uh, so I was surprised to be invited to, to take that position. It came with a scholarship. And so what I would do for the, for the sophomores who were taking principles of accounting one and principles of accounting two, I would go in. And what had been done in the past is the lab instructor would take the solutions manual into the classroom and allow students to come up and look at the solutions manual. And I was to guard the solutions manual. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I was in there a couple of, and every Friday I did that during these two sections of principles of accounting. 
And after a couple of class sessions, I realized that people were just coming up and asking about the same problems. There were some that were more challenging. And kind of on the spur of the moment, I said, you know, why don't we work this problem as a group instead of y'all standing in line to look at the solution manual? So that kind of changed the way that lab was was conducted for me for that year. And I also did it my senior year as well. And that probably planted the seed about maybe I could use my accounting degree to do something other than be an accountant. Uh, Another thing that I would mention, so I I went on and I was working as an accountant. I was a controller of a company and had an accounting team that worked underneath me. And at this same school where I had attended, Trevecca Nazarene University, um, one of the three faculty members went on maternity leave. And so the department chair, who who is the same guy who, Gerald Skinner, I mentioned him earlier, asked me to come back. And so I'm working full time as an accountant. And he asked me to come on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning to teach a course from 7.30 to 8.45 and to come on Tuesday and Thursday to teach a class at lunchtime. So I'm working full time and teaching two college courses. And I agreed to do it for the fall semester. Then she decided not to come back from from maternity leave. So I did it for the spring semester. And then she decided she was not coming back to work. And so that led to me being invited to be a faculty member. At that point in time, I had completed my master's degree and and was a CPA. And um, for that level of non-graduate degree granting institution that was that qualified for SACS accreditation, a CPA and a master's degree. So I, I went there as a, as a faculty member. I've mentioned this to different people. My wife tells me I'm a terrible career planner because I like every job that I ever have. And so, <laughs> and so I was happy with the job that I had, but I, I you know, thought of going and, uh, being an accounting professor at this school and what actually probably uh, cinched the deal was I was also uh, assistant tennis coach. So that, that made it a little more uh, inviting, but I served there for eight years as a faculty member before going back to get my PhD. Nice. I like how that parallels um, Joel, some of the guests we've had, uh, at a different level who got, who became interested in teaching from working with young children, like tutoring, or even uh, in my background, one of the things that I mentioned that led me to teaching was the experience I had as a fifth grader being asked to work with the kindergartners at my school and uh, working with them on their uh, sight words and things like that. And that's what sparked an interest in me in addition to other things. Um, But We've had a lot of our pre-service teachers, Morris, in our department, whose experiences early on as young children working, you know, at schools, being able to tutor someone younger than them or working at a camp or something like that has really sparked their interest in teaching. Same thing for you, but just at a different level. That's right. Which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, yeah, you turned to what What was <laughs> probably this like uh cushy gig where you're like just the garter of the manual, you know, garter of the solutions <laughs> manual to a, uh, 
I mean, where was it like what a forced study hall basically to a or yeah. you know place where you can get some answers to now? Wow, actually providing some insights and actually doing some teaching, right? And yeah. and helping them figure things yep. out. That's awesome. Um, it's a good experience for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, also too, just like the the noticing of that, where you know it it obviously didn't bother some folks beforehand, but then like you know you're two in and you're like you know two sessions in and you're like, well, there's a better way to do this, and so that you know there's some there's some gifts there and in being able to exercise that. Um. So that well, that was a story of your development as a teacher. So we ask we ask people guests of the podcast to basically kind of place a, a mile marker on their uh, growth to better teaching. So tell like a, a story of their growth as a teacher. So do you have, so what would be like a, a mile marker of your growth as a, as a teacher? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, um, 40 years, there's probably more than one mile marker. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and it's a little it, it's not really an easy question. You know, I've listened to some of the earlier podcasts and, and, you know, there's some really compelling stories that, that I've listened to. And, um, I, I'm not really the aha kind of, wow, that, you know, that that's really not me. I'm kind of a, a deliberate person and think about how to do things before I get, involved in things and uh and and that's probably served me well as an administrator i think but i I will tell you that i had an incident there when i was teaching at my first institution that kind of um impacted the way that i have you know uh, operated my entire career um so as i'm as i mentioned i graduated with an accounting degree i went uh, and got a master's degree in accounting and information systems. And so we were revising our curriculum there and there was a need to add some uh, information type systems into the degree. And I was probably the most prepared to teach those types of courses, but I was, you two won't even remember this computer language that I'm going to mention, but I had, I had had basic programming. I had COBOL program as a student, but they were wanting to teach Pascal programming, which I, I knew nothing about, nothing about. And uh, I, I mentioned Gerald Skinner, who, just expected people to rise to the occasion, no matter what the occasion was. And he assigned me to teach Pascal program. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I had never, I had never taken a course. I had never worked in Pascal programming. And but I'm also the kind of guy that, you know, thinks if your boss asks you to do something, you ought to try to do it, you know. And so I went into class. There were about 20 students and I'm, I'm telling you, this is so far before your time that we had TRS-80 computer, Tandy TRS-80 computers, and they were pitiful little computers. And this, you know, five and a quarter inch floppy disk that you put into the computer oh, yeah. to load the program, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I went into class, you know, and, and that time I'm probably 25 or six years old and the students are 20 years old and. I just said, look, this is, this is new in our curriculum and we're going to learn how to do this together. 
we're just going to, you know, we'll both benefit by doing this and I'm going to stay about two weeks ahead of you in the process <laughs> and, and taught a course that I didn't know how to teach. And it was a good experience for me, a good experience for them. Uh, helped me understand that um, we have to be constant learners as faculty members. We have to, I mean, you all know a few years ago, uh, you know, on spring break, we're told, oh, all your classes are going online. And I had never taught online class in my life, you know, and I'm over 60 years old at that time. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at my 403B account thinking maybe it's time <laughs> to, <laughs> to do something else. But instead, I, you know, and, and while I didn't enjoy the pandemic and all the ways that that impacted our university and students and faculty, it has continued to impact the way I teach. Um, I learned things through that process that uh, helped me um Help me become a better teacher. Even as a face-to-face live teacher, I learned things during that process. Uh, resources that I can make available to students that I create that would help them be successful in class. Yeah, I had so, a similar experience too, uh, Morris, with the pandemic teaching. Um, I'm continuing to incorporate things I was forced to do during the pandemic into my teaching now because they work better. And, right. you know, I, I didn't right. know I would I would have never introduced some of those practices into my classroom uh, prior to the pandemic or even thought about them. And then they worked so well. And we had a lot of support at the university. Uh, Joel and I got to participate in the um, what was it, uh, resilient teaching communities and and uh, work with our faculty in that. And just a very similar experience. It completely um made me think about what I was doing in my face-to-face classes that really could be more effective in a different way. Right. Yeah. I I ended up in that shortened semester and then continued it into the next fall where I, uh, so the, the next fall I taught over 300 students in intermediate accounting. And if you remember, we could only, have 50 people in a room at a time. And I was teaching over in the Jackson Avenue center. So I would have 50 students in there and I would have to do that course six times. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And so it it was, it was challenging. So I, I created these videos, these voiceover PowerPoint videos that I, to just to make sure that the students were getting this technical content that's necessary in our curriculum. And we got through that semester. And then the next fall, I'm teaching face-to-face live. And at the end of the second chapter, third chapter, a couple of students come up and say, hey, we hear you've got these videos that you made. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yeah. And they said, can we have the videos? And I thought, I I said, let me get back to you on that. And so what I finally decided was if they came to class and if class attendance continued to be strong, then I would post the video after I taught the material. And I, I did that through Panopto and I could see who was watching the videos and how many times they so, so uh, I continue after I've taught the material to make those videos available if they want to go back and watch again. So it's been a good thing. I learned a lot, uh, even at my advanced age. So 
It's kind of like Morris Stocks Khan Academy. <laughs> you, could, you could start your own website. This could be that your next favorite job. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Well, you were also telling me too previously about like the, with, you had the office hours, like the yeah. online office that yeah, you so, continue to. So you remember during that time we were trying to not be too face to face with students uh, in close contact. So I, created Thursday afternoon office hours. Um, they they could join and I would invite half the class for the first hour and half the class for the next hour. And I would, as you know, in office hours, students frequently ask the same questions when they come in. And so um, I, I wanted it to be a little more personal. So I required that they have their video on and have their microphone on. Uh, I would let them start and we would, um, you know, talk about the issues that they had. And, and, um, then I would throw in an extra couple of practice problems that I had created that they could work on. Um, that, that continued after the pandemic, people asking me about, because like I said, I had so many students and my office mates complain when there's a line of 25 students waiting to get in my office out of here. And so it, it just worked well for some students to do zoom office hours and continues to be that way. Well, it seems like the, you were talking about like, you know, the question we asked is like, you talk about that, you know, teaching that Pascal programming language class and having, um, you know, like thinking about the humility and uh, that you needed to have with that, like saying, Hey, I'm, I'm just two weeks ahead of you and we're kind of learning this together. And then even to, you know, fast forward, you know, to uh, 2020 when we're, you know, trying to convert things on like, Hey, like these tools I'm, I'm learning, we're, we're putting this out there. And, and so, you know, we're kind of doing some of these things together as, as uh, <laughs> we're laying track as we go. Um, so you can see like that, you know, that mile marker and that, that kind of that approach or mindset towards teaching kind of echoes in your, your experience during the pandemic. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, um, I, I kind of view students as my colleagues in the process, you know, and I think they appreciate that, you know, I've, I've been teaching intermediate accounting for a long, long time, but. Um, my goal is to make students comfortable as you go through that process. It's, it's been a very rewarding career for me. Yeah. So like we, um, we like to, so like thinking about these mile markers, these moments of, of professional growth and, and we like to connect them to our standards. Cause we're like, we basically our message is like, if it's important to you and your growth as a teacher, then it's also important to the field. And so Ann and I have uh, the these in-task standards. Ann knows what in-task stands for. Interstate. New teaching. Teacher Assessment and Support Consortium. There okay. you go. And so we have a set of 10 standards. And, and so, I, you know, I heard in, in what the story that you shared, um, you know, may, possibly standard nine, professional learning and, and ethical practice, like being able to Hey, being willing to open up to, to learning uh, new strategies, new skills, new things, and, and also ethical practice, like doing what's best for my students, like, you know, saying, hey, here's, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, during some some of those hard times during the pandemic, there was like, 
well, here's what, just what we need to do versus like, here's what I probably should do in order to better support my students. And you're thinking about that. I don't know, Ann. What, yeah. What and I, I thought standard nine as well under professional responsibility, um, as Morris was talking about his, his mile marker, also standard 10 is leadership and collaboration. The teacher seeks appropriate leadership roles and opportunities to take responsibility for student learning. So thinking about, you know, just even way back when you were working as that TA and manning the book, <laughs> the yeah. answer book, you know, guarding, taking, the book. guarding, guarding the, book, the book, taking that responsibility for the student learning, you know, we obviously noticing a problem and then and taking responsibility for that, collaborating with learners, which you were talking about your office hours and how you see them as colleagues. I think that's wonderful, uh, you know, that seeing your students as colleagues, I think that I think that can be something our students in the School of Education can learn from, because even even though even if you're working with young children, there's a uh, a level of humanity you can connect with um, and and re and respect that person regardless of age uh, for what they bring to the table. But just I think that standard him with leadership and collaboration stood out to me as well. Well, also, I mean, you know, think about uh, the connection to the field, you know, like a lot of teachers sometimes, you know, with the way that, uh, you know, people move out or, or people retire or whatever, like all of a sudden they get, somebody's going to have to teach a course that, you know, they they've never taught before. And basically you, you know, someone says like a shoulder taps you and has a, Hey, I, I think you can do this. And, you know, to have that, like, not that you have to go in with like, I'm going to know all the answers and everything, but like, you know what, we'll figure this out together. It's like a level of, you know, humility and honesty towards that role that, you know, and, and we will, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll make it happen. So, um, well, and that's, that happens a lot to K-12 teachers, particularly in the upper grades uh, in high yeah. school where there, there's a lot of teacher shortage around math and science uh, and, and really everywhere now, but particularly in the math and sciences. And you have a mathematics, you know, maybe you have a teacher that's taught middle school math, but they haven't taught calculus to 12th graders yet. And they're a little nervous about that. And I think just, you know, if you've got, if you've got good teaching down that relationships, the understanding of connecting with your students on a personal level, and you can, you know, manage your classroom, you can figure out the content if, um, and you can, just like you said, you know, we're going to figure this out together, st stay two steps ahead <laughs> yeah. and, um, and be the guide and uh, get the work done. Well, e even this year, <clears throat> you know, I taught a PhD seminar the first 20 years of my time here, even after I was provost, I was still teaching the PhD seminar, research seminar in accounting. And I haven't done it for about 10, 12 years. And right before this semester, uh, my dean comes and says, look, we've had a kind of a crisis situation. I need you to teach your seminar. And I'm thinking 12 years removed from that. <laughs> <laughs> But I said, yeah, I can do that. And um, thought about it for a little while and decided that, you know, I could do pretty, with a little bit of work, I could do the first half of the semester, the research design portion and teaching them how to critique scholarly work and reading some seminal type papers. And then I've had three young faculty members who were in the prime of their research career who are teaching in the area that this seminar is, is to cover. And they've come in for two weeks each and share their research and the, 
and the background for their research. And it's been a real good uh, experience for me. It's kind of refreshed me on my research and they've enjoyed doing, I mean, one of those three will take over this seminar before long. And nice. so you just kind of, you kind of just step in and, you know, I always view it as a challenge rather than a chore. And I think I've taught about a dozen different courses since I've been here at the university. And it's, it's just, you know, teaching, I, I consider teaching a high calling, honestly, I, you know, we're privileged to get to do what we do. And we, we influence people and it's, it's, it's great to have that opportunity, even if the opportunity is a little more difficult than we would like for it to be. Yeah. It's great to do. Huh. So we ask our teacher candidates to um, develop what we call a pocket-sized philosophy statement. Like a, basically they, they develop a, a paper in one of our courses on their um, kind of teaching philosophy. And then we say, hey, what's the, what's the version you carry around with, like a mantra or, or whatever that – for your your teaching so that kind of guides your actions in the classroom so when you're trying to think like you know how to how to uh, how to respond to that request or how to or how to respond to that student's behavior or whatever or how to think about a a, um, a teaching situation they can kind of lean on that do you have anything like that like a pocket-sized philosophy statement well I, I will tell you that uh when i go into class the first day um I talk, so I, I, for the last five years, I've been teaching intermediate accounting. So that's the course, that's the first course that only accounting majors take typically. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you hear people talk about that course. It's the one that separates the accountants from the bookkeepers. And <laughs> so uh, I, I talked to them on the first day that I, I feel like it's my responsibility um, to set high standards for you that, you know, you've got for example, the CPA uh, exam down the road, and it's a technical exam and you need to know this material. And, and then I talk to them about moving from where they've been for the first two years of their education to mastering material, that we now have to begin to master the material, not be comfortable with the material, but master the material. And, and I continue to reinforce that throughout the semester I also tell them, and and this is for my benefit as well as theirs, that I want to get to know them, and I have I have some ways that I do that. I have a I create a seating chart. I say when you come in next time, sit wherever you want to sit, but we're going to have a seating chart, and I'm going to have your picture on my seating chart. I'm going to ask you to fill out a name card and keep that on your desk at all times, and I tell them that I want to be able to interact with you and call you by name in class. And I want your classmates to know your name. You know, my classes have about a hundred students in the class and I want your classmates to get to know. And the boy, they do, they, they bring their name tag and set it up there. And, uh, and, and then I guess the, the other thing that I would say about that is that when I have a personal, personal is maybe too strong a term, but when I have a relationship with my students, it seems to improve the learning process. Um, you know, I, th I think when a student knows that you know their name, when you speak to them in the hallway, when you, you know, talk to them about their progress in the class, then they seem to 
up their effort level a little bit. So uh, that, that's more than a pocket size uh, philosophy statement, but uh, that's kind of the way I approach my teaching. Um, and, and it seems to work. Students, students like to be respected, like to be known. And my, my, after a long time, I believe students rise to the occasion, even though it may be hard for them, they rise to the occasion if, if expectations are high. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I know, um, that relationship piece is so important. We talk about that a lot in the school of education and even talk about, we, you know, teach and we talk about classroom management the first day of school. If you know the students' names, you know, there's a lot of things that work in your favor. Uh, Even in something down to behavior, when you're dealing with a K-12 situation where you have to manage behaviors in a different way than you may in a college setting. Um, Knowing the students' names early uh, helps with that, but also just building that relationship and the, the motivations there because um, they they don't want to disappoint you. If they feel like that you respect them, they respect you and they don't want to disappoint. They they really want to do a good job. And uh, I think that's just the just a huge part of teaching is building those exactly. relationships. Yeah. Well, I agree let me, completely. Let me build on that too. Like not only knowing knowing the students' names, knowing how to say them uh, correctly. Cause that's another yes. thing too, you know, and cause making sure, you know, I always say it's, it's the first gift that they were given in this world. So making sure that you know it accurately for our, our teachers here, but then also too, and I, I love, and I just want to uh, underscore this and you talk about making sure not only that you know their names, but that they know each other's names. And cause you know, the message that that sends is like, Hey, this is not just a, a, a one-way street, but this, you know, or, you know, just between you and I, and then, you know, it's a bunch of individuals in the class that have these individual relationships just with me, but relationship with each other. Cause I might be teaching something to, you know, two of you, one of you gets it, the other one doesn't, but the other one has a good relationship with the other person. And all of a sudden, like, you know, Dr. Stocks is teaching to the one person leads to the other person teaching the other person. So like, it may not be a direct relationship, but eventually they're getting the material because you've established an environment where those relationships are seen as valued. Right. And so that's, I think it's a a nice thing. You know, little tricks to accomplish, you know, when, when, when we do their name tags, we have their name both on the front and the back of the name tag. So people behind them can see their name and know their name. I I just think, you know, it's a, it's, it's good to know and be able to interact with your colleagues. Yeah. Like I, I would say like, Hey, make sure it's on the back because when you say something brilliant, yeah. you just want to say so, someone say, "Wow, that was brilliant!" Like, no, <laughs> Jimmy said something brilliant. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Well, and that you know, we kind of get to the bottom where we we kind of like think about what are some resources that get this conversation make, thinks about. And I would I want to bounce this off of Dr. Monroe or Anne. Um, I thought of hearing all the different things that uh, Morris is talking about. I thought of the book "The Courage to Teach" by Parker Palmer. And thinking about the, you know, he talks of, in, in that book, he kind of talks about this like dominant method of truth knowing and truth telling. And it kind of reminds me of that first instance where you were, you know, the guardian of the in, the solutions manual and basically like having this, you know, aha, like, hey, this isn't, this is not right. We got to do something better than this. And and then he talks about like building, it's like basically then the the subject becomes in the middle and that everyone, the student and the teacher are all just interacting around in order to get a better relationship with that subject. And it just seems like 
it seems like that, you know, going to the the story of, you know, you leading the 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 session to work through the problems initially and then even talking about the course with uh Pascal and then doing the programming, it's like and even like your current your current situations and even well even talk, even to the seminar you just talked about where hey, we're bringing in more people so that we can all get better at this, uh, whatever, you know, the doctoral seminar or thinking about research around this. Like, seems like that, those are the kinds of environments. So that that book, The Courage to Teach by Parker Palmer, it's a classic book from, and the author lives in Madison, Wisconsin, by the way, Anne, if, I don't know if you knew that. Well, well. There you go. Another um, lover of cheese. That's right. Like Dr. Amidon. <laughs> uh, well, I was thinking a couple of books for our um, elementary teachers that might be of interest. And these are oldies, but goodies. And uh, when Morris was talking about this idea about community, this talking about this, his, his students, which I love, he's calling colleagues, which is the best thing ever, um, that it's a community. We're in this together. We're learning. um, You know, we want to know each other's names. It's not just me, know your name, et cetera. Uh, It's Reggie Routman's um, two books that really were influential for me which are invitations and uh, transitions. It's language. It's about teaching language arts in a, uh, an early, like a, you know, K3, K6 setting. And I think they've, you know, they're not as popular as they used to be with, um, because she was considered a whole language person and people, you know, are all upset about the whole language business. But anyway, (laughs) if you do it right, it it does all the things it needs to do. Uh, But she really talks a lot about building community in a language arts classroom the learners sharing with each other, writing workshop, writing together, reading together, literature circles, all the things that uh, in an elementary classroom around language arts instruction are about community. And so I thought about those books that were influential for me uh, from a, that were introduced to me by one of my college professors, Cindy Lee and mentors and um, dissertation chair and all around fabulous person. Um, she introduced those texts to me and I had been teaching for a while and I came back to school and I was reading those books by Reggie Routman and thinking about all of the missed opportunities <laughs> that I, you know, but also some of the things I was doing well, I was like, Hey, I was doing that. I was doing that. And, um, but wow, I could, I could have been doing this. And so those are two great books for elementary teachers to think about and, and revisit uh, Reggie Routman's uh, invitations and then transitions, two separate books. Well, and I'm, I'm open the door just given, I know how much you read. Uh, Morris is like, I don't know if you had any resources or anything you wanted to point people to that maybe have been informed your teaching or they maybe informed your, uh, well, and also too, I mean, you've been a, a university leader, uh, as well. So maybe there's some key resources you want to mention. I don't know. Just open the door to you. Well, one of one of my favorite books that I recommend in class to students is a book called Good to Great. And oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and it's just been helpful to me to think about how to go from being good at something to great at something and all the and even though a lot of that book is about how certain businesses moved from one level to the other, uh it's also about uh what uh, what they call a level five leader. What is a level five leader? And uh, that's helped me along the way. And I, I it, it's a classic among business books and I recommend it to lots of folks, but I, I've written down the books that you've mentioned and I'll add it to my, my reading list. I'm, 
I love to read. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for, thank uh, you for being a part of the podcast. We really appreciate you sharing, uh, uh, your mile marker, your story on your road to better teaching. It's been a privilege for me and I thank you for what you're doing. This is great. And thanks to all of you out there for turning in, tuning in to the Road to Better Teaching. This episode may be over, but the Road to Better Teaching never ends. Please subscribe to the podcast so you're notified when the next episode is ready to listen. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast. You can also share the podcast with someone you feel may be interested in these stories of teacher development. And if you want to find any links to the resources mentioned, you can check out the show notes for this episode at roadtobetterteaching.com. Uh, thank you to all you listeners out there for taking the road to better teaching. This world is a better place because you have used the gifts you've been given to teach others. And the Road to Better Teaching podcast is an Amazon Planet production. Mm-hmm.